0: my friends what lays before you is the myriad knowledge of an unfathomable universe join our intrepid remembrances as they explore the heresy as history from deep within the farthest reaches of the great library of tiska we are the heresy grad school so said the war master in his wisdom go forth my sons and illuminate them. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to a extra special episode of Heresy Grad School, where we have a very special guest. We have uh, Andrew Hollis, who I don't know if... I'm certainly hoping most of you know know who he is. Lord knows you better. Um, the creator and main man of Australialis, Ultima Sector. Um, in more recent news, just released a orc black book, essentially an orc army book. Um, it was well known for his Eldar book, the Necron book, several very successful Kickstarters. Um, but welcome.
1: Thanks guys, great to be here and chatting to you.
0: Um, trying to think. I don't think we have any housekeeping right now. Dave, can you Anything on your uh, end?
2: No, this is, uh, is going to be a good little sort of, I guess, intermission between um, XANA, right? So we did the XANA incursion, and that was a multi-part deep dive into uh, uh, sort of that lore. And, and then, you know, we're sort of putting our notes together for the scouring of Nostromo, and that'll be the, the next multi-part series. But uh, this will be a good segue, um, between those two very interesting sort of, uh, and, you know, they're, they're sort of both, I think, um, part of the lore that doesn't get explored a lot, which is great because Andrew, I feel like that's also what you do, um, is explore some of the lore that just doesn't kind of get the the love that it needs. Yeah,
1: for sure. That's kind of, Always been interested in the, the background of things. Like it's fantastic to read about the, the big story arcs and everything, but I really enjoy creating my own stories or embellishing the smaller, uh, slightly mentioned stories and going from there. Um, I think kind of the the big stories that have already been established; those stories have been told and fleshed out, and they're they're there. Like Svan and Siege of Terra and that sort of stuff. Kind of adding to them is not my thing, but the smaller ones and the creation of um, Australis Ultima and that sort of stuff—that's th- where my passion lies for sure.
0: Yeah, and it's almost, uh, I guess, serendipitous or fate that we we did an Olinor episode and then the day before we release it to the public, you you released your uh, your orc uh, army book for thirty k. So.
1: Yeah, I noticed that one. It, it seemed as though it was uh, very well timed, but um, yeah, we we certainly hadn't chatted before that. So.
0: No, yeah, and super excited to to do maybe a little deep dive with you on that. But uh, to to start off, like, was heresy your first start in Warhammer, or you the original forty k guy, or fantasy? Like, what's your uh, hobby background?
1: Well, originally. Uh... I moved to Canberra uh, years ago. I started playing fantasy for a very short period of time with the group, um, and that was a bit short-lived. They were just absolute power gamers. Um, so I kind of moved over to 40K, K. Um, a little bit of 40K, but the, the vast majority of 40K regular being played was tournaments, uh, and then I stumbled across an apocalypse 40K game, uh, and from there I was hooked. Um, I then set up. A local Canberra APOC group uh, and we grew it from there and basically that was uh, all narrative we were playing narrative apocalypse games um, and a massive campaign that we did which was the um, the Phonicus crusade or Phonicus campaign that basically led to the creation of the Australis Ultima Sector um, and shortly after uh, the heresy books dropped vast majority of the players who were interacting with Apocalypse kind of migrated to Heresy because it was just a great setting for narrative. And there we carried on. But it's always been narrative gaming for me. I never really enjoyed tournament. And so I've always kind of built a bit of a player group around me that appreciated narrative, whether it was Apocalypse or 30K. It doesn't matter about the setting. It's it's about who you play with and a player.
0: Yeah. Um... We're, you know, in in Richmond, the the thirty K group. We're we're definitely about, you know, let's make this fun. Let's make this narrative. Let's not let's not worry about who's winning. Let's just enjoy and, you know, think of a cool scenario to do. Um, so, what was your first army?
1: Um, my first and current army were Black Templars. Um, sorry, I, I lie. My first army was Necrons. That was a uh, investment purchase. I bought the Necrons, then resold the Necrons for like ten times the price, I split up. <laughs> um, and then and then bought um, the Marines. And it was quite hilarious because that I wanted something with um, like uh, zeal, passion, and scriptures on them. So it was always going to come down to Black Templars or a pre-Heresy style bearers. It was yeah. a pretty <laughs> big difference but I went with Black Templars and and built them up and I've got kind of 20 30, 000 points of Templars now.
0: Wow. But that, that's a that's a lot of Templars. Yeah. Um do you feed those into like a um Imperial Fists for 30k I guess?
1: Um I originally did. It it felt really uncomfortable playing them as Imperial Fists even though first company were the templars of the fist they they just didn't well um but as soon as black shields came out that i knew that they were going to be black shields my 40k templars were actually quite extremists they were separatists um they'd split away from the the main chapter and ironically even before the heresy came out they were followers of the imperial truth um and so it carried on then that um Black Templar models then became Black Shields, uh, who were Separatist company, Imperial Fists, type thing. A little bit of breakaway in the lore, but propaganda just covers up that Imperial Fists never broke away.
0: Well, there you go. Um, So I guess, are you playing Black Shields now?
1: Yeah, I I play a bit of Black Shields. Um, I'm lucky to get games in. Uh, I do a lot of um, uh, event organizing and that sort of stuff, but... The, the 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 black shields have stayed on the shelf for a while, and a little bit addicted to things. So when I when I was writing the um, Craft World army list and the Necron army list, I I then ended up building like five thousand point armies for those ones as well. So I've been playing Eldar and Necron lately.
0: I may have seen. Uh, I think you probably posted this up recently of uh, Eldars on. Uh... What looked like, I guess, uh, the old uh, whatever the uh, the lizards that the uh, dark elves ride. Um, oh, the cold ones. Yeah. Yes, the cold ones. There you go.
1: Yeah, so that's a, a bit of a side project in preparation for the Exodite army list that I'm writing. Um, I've uh, Robbie Crawford uh, did a, a bit of sculpting, and he's made some dragon knights and scout Lancers for the Exodite army. So that's kind of just sitting on the back burner at the moment.
0: Oh wow. Very cool, um, and I guess it's a shame you sold off all those Necrons because you could totally just use them again and um, it, with your thirty uh, k primer, you know.
1: Yeah, well, it was the um, the the big loss were the um, they call them the uh, ones that use the the um, nulls. I can't remember what they're called now. The pariahs, uh... um, were lovely models, uh, and I had thirty pariah metal pariah models that were sold. Um, but um it's all right. I, I built the necrons back up pretty quick. <laughs> I've, I've got enough.
0: All right. Well, um, so tell us a little bit about Australia's um, Ultima sector. I mean, you know, you, you kind of talked about what started it, but like, how how big has it grown? You know, and and how is it shaping up?
1: Um, yeah, it's so uh, Oz 30K really started as Oz 40K um, a while ago. So when we were doing the Phonicus campaign uh, back in 2013, the results of that narrative campaign basically led to the story of the creation of the Australis Ultima Sector. And the entire purpose of it was to try and document people's campaigns in common area so that people could feel linked so there were were lots of people running campaigns and a few people doing narrative campaigns and that sort of stuff but what our aim was was to give a single area that was outside of all of the existing fluff so that people had freedom to create their own stories do it in a community so that they could link into other people's stories so that it felt and to the systems um, they could refer to other campaigns that were taking place in the same sector and that sort of stuff um, so the oz 40k site lasted for a little while um, but then as I said when the vast majority of us migrated to the heresy um, rebranded uh, the oz 40k site to the oz 30k site and grew up from there um, it continued to grow and it, and it's quite expensive um, but it was always a difficult one for people to to jump on and use because it was it was a kind of a, a catch-22 we wanted something that was easy for people to interact with but we also wanted something that was easy for me and the other admins to manage so it was set up as a wiki um, so people who aren't familiar with media wiki and that struggle a little bit to enter information onto it so it was never really easy to put in your battle reports and that sort of stuff but it was it it grew quite large. Um we've at last count there's nearly forty different campaigns from around the world that have been entered into it. Um it's got subsector maps, system maps, planetary profiles, army profiles, that sort of stuff. Um for my own fault the the activity and the use of it has dropped off in the past couple of years and Old Thirty K has really kind of become more of a social media presence, um, helping people run their own campaigns with heraldry and that sort of stuff. But I'm hoping year, with the isolation and that sort of stuff that I'll kind of do a bit of resurgence on all 30 k site. And I want to start documenting and modernizing a lot of the battle reports into some documents and that sort of stuff incorporated into some of the, the librarian terror books that I'm writing and just bring it uh, a little bit back into the forefront.
0: Yeah. I mean, uh, I guess my next question would be, so is it just you right now? I mean, writing these writing these wonderful books and, you know, finding this lore and trying to manage um, Oz30K? Or yeah. do you have a good, um, dedicated group of admins?
1: Uh, it's just me. So o- Oz30K is basically me. Um, but there was a couple of people in the past who helped me set up. Rob Savage uh, especially helped me with the coding on the wiki. Uh, so the Savage system is kind of named in his honor. Um, but he was not involved in the hobby. He was just helping me from the technical side. Um, so, like the the website management and the the Facebook profile and that sort of stuff is is literally me. Um, books themselves, we've got uh, working groups. So the the first one, the Craft World book, uh, a smaller working group um, because it was a first, not many people really believed that the project would get off the ground. So there was a few people involved, but only a few really dedicated people got, stayed around. But uh, the Necron and then the Orc ones have got quite large uh, private working groups to help kind of flesh out and work out what we want to do with the army book. Um, but I'm the actual one who um, does the the publishing. I i compile it all. I do all of the backgrounds. I then put in all of the text and carry it all over and Sort it all out and try to make it and get ready for printing and that sort of stuff.
0: Yeah, because I guess so. I do know is the Craftworld Eldari book available as of right now? I think.
1: Yeah, for sure. So that the the two that we've completely unearthly done are the um, Craftworld Eldari, so Ashirani, mm-hmm. um, and the Necron Tomb World. Um, so those two uh, army lists are. 100 percent done and they're available as pdfs um they also do organize um like print runs every so often um and they're about um both the the necron and the eldar one are about to go through another hardcover printing run um uh, they're both available and then the orc as you mentioned have just finished that as a, a draft um so the the pdf doesn't have any of fluff or nice background pictures or anything like that. Uh, it's literally, we just want to draft, to play test the actual army and the changes and see how that's going. And then in a month, we'll probably try and finalize that one.
0: Well, whenever I can get over to Dave's, I'm just going to kind of drop my box of orcs, just kind of turn it up over the table and say, hey, Dave, let's try and play this. Because um, yeah. I'm one of those guys, I've been collecting orcs, I think, since fifth edition, I want to say. So right I still have a bunch of old Gorkamorka models, um, you know, you know, the, the, the trucks that they, that they never changed until about like, I'm going to say sixth or seventh edition maybe. And then, you know, boys have never changed except I think from second to third edition. Um, but I was very much excited to see all this, see that that entire book happen. Um, It was
1: certainly going to be the the most popular out of the first three. Um, I kind of started on the Eldar one simply because the the entire purpose of the project was because we had some local players who didn't like 8th, but they didn't have Imperial Armies, uh, so they wanted to continue playing 7th. So rather than just playing the 7th Codex, I just wanted to try and rejig the Codexes and the army lists so that they could play a 30K setting. and so, yeah, we started with Eldar simply because we had Eldar players local. Um, and then Necron simply because of a reason. And then Orcs was always going to be the biggest because of Ulanor and the popularity there. Um, so, yeah, yeah, we wanted to kind of... The, the first three we wanted to finish off on Orcs because that would be a, a big and popular one. And it was always going to be the hardest one to right you, you're never going to please 100 percent of people like if if people aren't happy with the official codexes uh you're never going to please everyone with a, a fan codex um but we always wrote it from this is what we're writing it from our perspective our reasoning and that sort of stuff and hopefully we we'll have kind of make a, a few people happy and if we'll take that and change it then so be it
0: um hopefully i mean, it gets more as an orc player, I can officially say it already looks better than the 7th edition and 8th edition codexes. Um, but <laughs> um, I do like you're you're definitely going to get some of those people who are like, oh, well, Orinor finished off the Great Crusade and like that's the end of the orcs even though, you know, the White Scars are fighting them off during the Harris and that kind of stuff. But really, orcs don't count. But you know, orcs are all over the place. It it doesn't matter which um, scenario; they're always going to be there.
1: That's right, yeah. And and we're always there's always going to be differences in opinion of the gray areas of the fluff. The the fluff for Zenos during the Great Crusade and the Horus Heresy is not really well fleshed out, and there's kind of uh, contradictions and that sort of stuff. So the, the army lists that I'm writing, rather than them being Horus Heresy, they are they're branded great Crusades. so they're intended to be actually played uh, to the horus heresy um, when the focus was the imperium versus the xenos and that um there's certainly no reason why they can't fit in horus heresy timeline as well uh it's just obviously the focus of that gaming setting is the civil war um certainly nothing to say that just because the civil war happened that the xenos were no longer being attacked or attacking but you know, to try and avoid continual um argument on the internet and that sort of stuff. Xenos we weren't involved in the Horus heresy. We we say yet, yeah, well, these army lists are for the Great Crusade, not the Horus Heresy.
0: <laughs> yeah, and, and that makes sense. Um so I guess uh I do want to ask you a couple questions about the orcs and then I think Dave has has a all sorts of questions. Um but so what was so definitely the Great Crusade um so, what was your, or what lore are you pulling from? I guess when you when you're working on the orc uh, book,
1: um, it's always hard with all of them because, as I said, the the lore is a little bit hard and mishmashed, especially with the beast series that comes in the scouring. It it throws a few spanners and a bit of anachronistic stuff in there, but right. a lot of it is is just tidbits of information from like and that sort of stuff um, and a large percentage of it is sitting down with like-minded people and deciding upon a narrative a setting and a view that we want to write it from um so the the three army lists that have basically been released have all been written from a very specific standpoint and view so the the craft world elder are, are the standpoint of that shortly after the fall they're still being scattered the uh, the aspect warriors are reasonably new so they're not fully throughout the all of the craft worlds psychic powers are a little bit worried about now the the infinity circuit all of that sort of stuff um necrons are from the point of view that it's a an awakening tomb world um it's not a full-fledged aging dynasty or anything like that it's a tomb world that's been awoken either early or scheduled whatever but they're slowly building themselves up the orcs is from the viewpoint that they are an existing orc empire being invaded by imperium rather than the other way around in 40k the orcs are normally rampaging and attacking Imperium. We wanted instead to kind of reflect and tell a story of imperium invading york's empire so there's a lot more um fortifications and that sort of stuff present in their list and they kind of—they're not on the back foot, but they are the ones being attacked, and so then they're—they're are they're counterattacking. attacking Kind of the story that we went with, and then we just pulled as much as we could out of the existing law, uh, like the sizes, the increased size of the, um, the big boys, and that sort of stuff. Um, but as I said, there's always contradictions, so we just—we had to try and go with what we thought felt good.
0: Yeah, I know at least because uh, we released that. Olinor episode uh, this past week or week uh, week past, um, you know for for finding stuff about Olinor in the in the in the heresy realm, it you're essentially looking through for a needle in a needle stack. Um, That's right. But, and you know if we we certainly tried our best, and I I think we put a put a good effort, but a lot of the a lot of the knowledge and a lot of what we pulled, at least from my perspective, w- was a lot from that B- from the Beaster Eye series because it is very kind of it's it's that pivotal kind of crucial book set where um, you know if where they actually talk about the orcs and how they've gotten bigger and how they are relevant. Um, you know, I mentioned in that episode where. Uh, there's a there's a scene where they're fighting where they're having a space battle and there's a boarding action, and the Imperial Fist captain sees a orc with a suns with a then Luna Wolves uh, emblem on his pauldron. You know that kind of thing that that brings brings us back into the heresy mindset. Um, yeah,
1: that's right. But that was one of the big aspects that we did latch onto was the hypothesis that um, the more the orcs fight, the bigger they get. So they had big empires pre-heresy because they weren't being attacked by the Imperium, so they were fighting more, so they became bigger. But, yeah, I think everybody's kind of requirement for a Great Crusade orc list was that there'd be some sort of bigger orcs available. Um, most of the people who were doing alterations simply changed the baseline orcs and made them all bigger, which I didn't really agree with. I didn't feel that all of the orcs would be bigger. It's just that there would be a bigger range of orcs. So we added a third tier. So there were the boys, the knobs, and now there are brutes. The brutes are the, the next level of size that they grow to, which were basically kind of the war boss level. And then on the HQ side, then there was a next level of the HQ, which was a tyrant. Uh, and he's the one that's supposed to be able to go to toe with a Praetor and probably you know, won't be able to do a Primark or anything like that. That was starting to get a little bit excessive. But yeah. that's kind of the big one that we carried on, was that next level.
0: So, I I mean, speaking of the Tyrant, because um, I'm thinking of this from a narrative perspective, uh, I guess, would you see that as you know, if I as a narrative player went to make kind of a fluffy like Battle for Ulnor list against a bunch of Sons of Horus, would you then say, oh yeah, just call that your, you, you know, your erlock Erg or, or something like that? Sure. Or, is, or is there a plan for a Lord of War HQ?
1: There's no current plan for a Lord of War. Um, the, the Tyrant was originally a monstrous creature. We really found that just didn't work in the list. It having a monstrous creature as a HQ um, just forced you to do so many other rules to allow them to interact with the rest of the army. So we kept the stats the same, which is very close to some of the, the monstrous creature demon HQs from the um, Demons of the Ruin Storm. Um, so he's pretty big and he's pretty strong, uh, and he can throw out a lot of firepower. For sure, for a specific character like Uruk from uh, Ulanor, I think a, a specific character set would be needed for that. So, um, again, I'm not one for do special characters, to do named characters, especially from existing stuff, because the story's been told. So, if people want to retell that story, I would encourage people to kind of modify the Tyrant's stats a little bit, boost him a little bit more than what he is, because he Basically, was the pinnacle of book, war bosses at the time to take on Horace and the the emperor and that sort of stuff. So he'd probably need to be a bit bigger than what he is in the book.
0: Yeah, um, and then one last question for me. I I know you have Stompas, you've got Squigs. Is there a plan for Gargans? Um, and and yeah. that may be kind of a loaded question because I, I you know. Stompas are it's kind of hard cuz they they're in that weird middle realm of like at least lore-wise a Stompa can be anywhere in between a knight and a titan, you know? Um because it has the firepower to take out a titan, but it also can easily go toe to toe with a knight depending on its size.
1: Yeah, certainly. Like um it's uh, there's I've got a profile that I'm playing around with. There's a couple of small things that I've still got offline from that document. One of them is the Gargan. Um, And it's really hard because it's something that hasn't really been done outside of Epic very much. Uh, Like I I try to carry over as many of the existing units as possible. Um, And I think during playtesting, we've got a couple of groups doing some really big playtesting, like they're doing APOC level playtesting. If they come back and say, oh, look, they need. They need a gargant to stand up in in Apoc. Then certainly we will include it. But um, if they're going well, the the stompers are fine. Um, then we might leave it out because it's kind of like the the warlord profile and that sort of stuff. It's fantastic to look at and that. But in all reality, does it actually get used all that much?
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think the only times I've ever seen a warlord ever, um, because I don't know if anybody in richmond 30k has a warlord is when we go up to uh nova which is in up in northern virginia and there's the giant big blam which last year dave correct me if i'm wrong i felt like there was like 10 15 warlords something stupid
2: it's it's gotten bigger you can look at pictures online but it's gotten insane.
0: Yeah, it it gets to the point where where the organizers are worried that the table is going to break with the (laughs) amount of resin. And like uh, there's there's, for instance, there's security guards patrolling, you know, normal stuff during a convention. Um, And and one of them came up to me and said, so what am I looking at here? And I said, you're looking at, you know. $100,000 House. Well, hundred thousand dollars worth of house, resin. Yeah, yeah. literally, you're you're looking at a good, you know, five bedroom, four bathroom, you know, mansion.
1: We, um, we moved our big apocalypse games when we started playing with lots of titans uh, to floor hammer.
0: There we you go. Yeah, a
1: reaver got knocked off the table and shattered. Um, so it, it then became any any big apoc games with, with like warlords and that sort of stuff rope off a 40 by 40 foot area and we play floor hammer
2: yep as you should because you take your shoes off you play on the floor and i mean god damn it if you don't feel just a little bit closer to being a little kid yeah, you know for
1: sure. <laughs> floor hammer with titans and vehicles no infantry uh because you don't want to step on people's infantry uh you just play with the big things uh put flyers on like one meter stands fly around and make all of the um, whooshing sounds, and have at it.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the dream, man. Hopefully soon. Um,
1: but yeah, as for the Gargant, like, I keep on looking back and forth to it. Um, there's a profile sitting there. Um, if I end up inserting it, I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: because I know... Well, I mean, you, you probably know the York community as well as I do, but almost you go to any Facebook group of orcs and there's always somebody who's either printed something or built it out of a bunch of tin cans or, you know, grabbed a bunch of plastic card one day and built themselves a gargant. And, you know, they right now they're probably just using it as a stompa, but they're always big and beautiful and just amazing to look at because it's I feel like the orc community is one of those that is not saying everyone doesn't like kit bashing something personal or, or making something cool with kit bashing. I just feel like the orc community excels at it.
1: Yeah, for sure. The, the nature of the, the looted wagons and all of that sort of um, aesthetics kind of calls to that sort of person. And,
0: I remember uh, the, the first vehicle I ever looted was I took an Imperial guard basilisk and I would like, sawed down the barrel and, and did a bunch of other stuff with it. I took the commander that's meant to be looking out the, uh, out the view out his viewfinders. I slapped him on the side and like stuck a, a stabber through him. And like, this was, this was 12 year old me. Um, when I, when I first started gathering orcs and I was so proud of myself and there's gobos hanging all off of it. And yeah, it's just one of those things
1: you can see some fantastic modifications and certainly the same thing goes back to the looted wagon entries i I get a lot of comments and requests to change the looted wagon entry to like one of the really old style and the fan style of okay pick this particular vehicle at this price and you've got all of this complex thing but there's so many different versions of mechanics to build that unit and then when you enter it into the 30k universe Alongside all of the Xenos, the assortment of vehicles that you can choose from becomes crazy, and the the unit entry turns into like a four-page mini codex by itself. And I just didn't feel that it was it was adding a significant amount to the army list, so we we stuck with the older style of um, the looted wagon.
0: Yeah, and you're and you're better off that way, and you know. In the thirty K universe there's plenty of plenty to grab onto with the looted wagon, you know? I mean you could use a predator, you could use a land raider, you could use and you know, you could use any Necron vehicle, you could use any militia vehicle, you could use, you know, any solar auxilia vehicle or mechanicum vehicle. Um That's right. Yeah. And it's just easier for everyone if the rules are the rules. It comes Brilliant.
1: down to you've got to have rules for practicality to a certain extent.
0: So right.
1: We certainly tried to incorporate a lot of the uh, older rules and options, um, like basically 7th and 8th edition army lists and codexes were it's generally acknowledged that they were a little bland. A lot of the options were stripped out of them. They were made quite generic and that sort of stuff in both Um, necron and orcs necron especially a lot of the the nice options for the cryptex and that sort of stuff was stripped away orcs lost a lot of their options so all of those books we, we tried to go back as far as we could and we looked at earlier editions second third fourth fifth type thing and looked at what sort of options they had looked at what units were back there that may have been removed and that but it was it was most often it was the options different kind of HQ options and different unit options that we tried to incorporate back in to give lists flavor and um movement in being able to specialize and kind of with your own aesthetics and character. So hopefully we, we achieved that one.
0: I mean, so far I, I am very impressed with with that with the orc book. I mean with all the books, let's be honest. It, it's it's amazing what you've done so far. And I will be extra happy to dig the sick, the six uh, very old orc buggies that I have sitting in my uh, what I like to call my closet of shame, which is where all my armies have a tendency to hide, in and actually using them in a game. Oh, but I think I'm going to turn it over to Dave.
2: Awesome. Hey, thanks Andrew for for being on. I think you've gotten Pat to talk more on this episode than he has in like the last. <laughs> like 10 episodes together. If you haven't figured this out yet, Pat really wanted to have you on to talk about orcs.
0: I, <laughs> um, I, hey, I could have spent the rest of the time talking about orcs too, but yeah, they, no, they've had some I questions. You could
2: have. I know you could have. Um, that's good, man. Uh, this will go nicely with the Ulanor episode. But yeah. So, uh, Andrew, I would be remiss if I did not ask uh, about a post you made a few days ago on Facebook. Um, I, to me, this is huge, right? I mean, this, this is pretty big news. I don't know if a lot of people have picked this up yet, but, um, you guys are, or you are doing, uh, a black book called Librarium Terra, Rogue Traders Militant. Can you talk about that any more than what you've posted on Facebook?
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, certainly not trying to keep uh, things secret or anything. Um, it's it, it's a continuation of the books. So the books have always been bouncing back and forth between various incarnations. So that the first three books that we've done um, were obviously The Craftworld, The Necrons, and The Orcs. From um, there, they were the first three big Xenos Kind of races and from there we we're always a little bit unsure where to go and i keep on saying we but it's primarily me plus uh specific kind of working groups for each one um but the next three xenos races were simply other factions of the the elder race so now the dark elder exodite elder and the ancient elder which is the precursor to the corsairs um due to the nature of those army lists the the unit numbers within them significantly smaller than the, the previous three so what that was going to mean was that the books were going to be quite small compared to the 80 plus pages of the the regular ones like the necron and new yorks so i asked um in a couple of forums whether people would prefer to have just a smaller green book or, or whether i should compile it into a single book um kind of encompassing the the, the last three and the overwhelming kind of response was and I'm talking like 190 to 4 um, was people wanted in a single combined big book um, uh, the, the moment we kind of start looking at that big book other options open up and I thought well start making it a little bit more fancy with black cloth cover and, and that sort of stuff so moving forward into that direction where the the books moving forward from the Orcs will become what's called a series that I'm gonna do Librarium Terror um, and they're going to be a cross between Horus Heresy Black books, the old Imperial armour, and the Apocalypse Warzone books. Um, they're not as—they're not going to be as big as the Horus Heresy Black books. They're, they're just phenomenally big. Um, but they're going to have some leading fluff and story, and I'm going to try and theme them that they're, they're written from the perspective of a remembrancer called Teal Fiefersome, um, and try and give some overarching narrative to each
2: of the books. Um, yeah, I think I think that's what is, is exciting me the most. Right? Is um, as soon as you start saying black book, um, you start talking narrative and and the history. And I this is a I think this is a really cool tie-in um, with the Rogue Trader Kickstarter you did uh, with the Rogue Trader Gabrielle. Uh, you're going to have to say her last name, man. <laughs> Kathitos, Kathitos, uh, yeah. Who I'm really excited to get. Uh, she shows up on my doorstep in two days. You will be happy to know. Uh, oh, nice. Yeah, she made she made it through quarantine. Um, but uh, but yeah. So I mean, so this is. Do you think this will be your next Kickstarter? Let me just throw that out there.
0: Um,
1: no, I'm I'm certainly separating the books from um the models and the kickstarters so i'm conscious of the the gray line that we're walking with with the books um in regards to ip um so it, it's all, the the books are always going to be kind of a bit of a, a fan thing and will always be available free pdfs and that sort of stuff so i don't feel that i need the kickstarter to to get them going okay. um, while the black books will be a little bit more expensive to produce um, they'll still be available for um, through the PDF and that sort of stuff. But yeah, the, the Kickstarter with Gabrielle Calathitos, uh, the rogue trader, was certainly uh, an intentional tie-in. So she will be the rogue trader that gets followed in, in the first book. Um, the first book will actually be about the creation of the Calathedos dynasty, um, the first few uh, campaigns, and then her... Going out uh, into the the fringe and actually witnessing um, an Eldar invasion of a Necron tomb world and getting involved in that and that's how she starts getting involved in the Xenos and that sort of stuff. Um, so that that'll be the the narrative and the fluff and we'll try and do some maps and some pictures and uh, that sort of stuff to try and uh, build the the atmosphere. Uh, and then the actual sort of game content will be a Rogue Trader um, mini list, um, so you can actually play a Rogue Trader faction. Uh, an updated agents of the Australis Ultima sector. So we've got um, like nearly thirty new agents and fugitives. Uh, they're going to be a key component of the Rogue Trader army list. Going to be a Rogue Trader um, BFG fleet and God. a points of interest mechanic. Uh, oh which means, sorry.
0: You know, hard. I, I can hear i can hear dave getting excited are all you the way in, from are are too much heavy
2: breathing because if i I'm, I'll, I'll mute my mic if it's getting distracting
0: <laughs> <laughs> so um i i do have a a question about the rogue trader army list real quick um and i don't know if how far in development you guys are there or at all um but do you foresee, like, because rogue traders always have, like, this big, you know, for lack of a better term, command cadre kind of sort of situation where you've got your rogue trader, but then you have, like, they've got a headhunter, they've got a, a, a recruit dude, or they have a psyker, and, like, it's just one posse that, that goes on adventures. Do you foresee oh. something like that happening?
1: Sure. So the actual rogue trader list... Uh, and the agents is is 99 done. In fact, we had uh, a few people play testing it at Active Heresy earlier this year. Um, the effect, the the entire the mechanic around the rogue trader is you have the rogue trader, you have an advisors cadre, you have command squad, uh, effectively a command squad. The advisors cadre are made up of agents and fugitives depending on what writ you take. There's three different writs. The most extreme writ is that you, they're out on the fringe and they've nearly lost contact with the Imperium. And the most Imperium-friendly writ is that there are no Xenos, so there's no fugitives. Um, that little cadre is agents, so your old navigator and that sort of stuff. Um, there's been a lot of work in the fan base of expanding that cadre of uh, agents and fugitives. So as I said, we've now got, like, 30. I've been working with the Mournival events guys and trying to reduce contradictions and crossovers so we're making sure that we, we keep the same same. Um, that's, that plays a big element, and that makes up what you were talking about, the, the crew, the the headhunters and that sort of stuff. So you, you can have your um, uh, your assassins, you can have remembrances, you can have your night engineers, that sort of stuff in there. Your command squad is a fully customizable. So, you can basically make them into anything you want. Um, They can be a motley crew. They can be an elite um, Imperial Guard unit. They can be um, kind of cross genetic whatever, or be a thing. That's the entirety of the Rogue Trader. Then, the other element is that the Rogue Trader has three allied slots. And so, you're going to ally. Studies a mechanicum and an imperial guard uh, or if you're one of the more extremist rogue traders you can ally imperial guard La, and orcs um, and there's all mechanics to help kind of uh, unify the group in the the uh, the allies matrix and all of that sort of stuff but the big emphasis is rogue trader is the core of the army rogue traders are of singular and they rely on other seconded units and that sort of stuff. So the the big emphasis is that if you're a rogue trader, they draw in allies from all of the different factions that they're interacting with.
2: I'm so excited about this book, man. I can't, I can't tell you how excited I am. Um, it's, it's, it's everything I think, uh, I want from my, uh, warhammer 30k experience and uh i think it's just so cool that you're tying in some of the old uh kickstarter models that you have done right i mean because you s- sort of mentioned uh the the knight sacastrin. oh my god i can't even say it now um Sek- right and uh I'm assuming that the uh, Questoris Envoy will be in there as well, maybe as a potential uh, advisor.
1: Yep. So nearly all of my Kickstarters, uh, besides the unarmored Marines, they're more kind of diorama and kind of objectives and that sort of stuff. I try to have all of my Kickstarters actually have a, a purpose on a tabletop. So all of the original... Um, models that we released so the the, the maggot men the sloth the cloak strangers that that trio Night sacristan the knight envoy um the rogue traders themselves all got unit profiles and they've all got all agents or fugitives so obviously the sloth of fugitives which are effectively agents of the xenos um and uh, as i said the, we've got nearly i think over 30 agents and fugitives now to kind of start drawing from you've got your remembrances you You've got uh, Adeptus uh, Arbites, um, Roving Magistar, I can't remember what their, their formal name is, but basically the detective that goes out on his own. Um, you, you've got um, the equivalence of traitor assassins, you've got the equivalence of Xenos assassins, um, you've got uh, a dark Eldar witch, so their use of psykers haven't fully kind of evaporated yet because the fall has only just happened, um, but they're kind of not really welcome in in the dark city anymore so this big expanse of agents and fugitives and that's where a lot of our um, model repertoire is coming from uh, and augmenting and that sort of stuff so we everything is really kind of tied into one another and i there is a big overarching purpose and and direction that i'm trying to follow uh, and it's to all trying to augment the, um, the the books that i'm doing and make it a little bit more of an encompassing experience for people
2: Man, I, I, I love that um, so, so much. And I can't wait to see what the next Kickstarter you guys do is going to be. I don't know if you have any plans for that, if it's too early to talk about that. But, I mean, I'm, I'm pumped.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, the, so the, we'll definitely be running annual Kickstarters, if not more. Um, so the annual Kickstarter is for the actual... Um, event model. Uh, So we do the annual event model. So this year, obviously, is the the Rogue Trader. Unfortunately, with all of the crisis and that sort of stuff, it's been put on a bit of a dampener and production slowed down. But they are the the event exclusive models for people who want to be involved. Um, Next year, there will be, so at the end of this year, there will be another Kickstarter running for 2021 event model. Um, That particular model the design and the idea of that model was actually a prize at active heresy as was the rogue trader from this one and the enslavers um so i'm kind of working with the prize winner at the moment to determine what that model will be so there'll definitely be a, another kickstarter and we've got quite a few other kickstarters of half baked and that sort of stuff starting to ready to go like the exodite models that we're looking at um the 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 sagittarian terminator alternatives um um a few other ideas sitting there so
0: sorry
2: my mic just dropped man are you guys can you hear me
0: yep
2: okay Okay, cool. Um, Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, man. Uh, Active Heresy, for those of you guys who don't know, Andrew, could you give us... their Active Heresy is something that you also sell through tagged events as sort of support for um, event organizers um, as a cool sort of prize to to give out. Um, But it's also more than that, right? It's just a collection of art that you guys have... Compiled over the years.
1: Um. So, uh, Active Heresy was the the event series that I I started running. So that went for five years and just wrapped up uh, this particular year. Um. So it was kind of our big narrative event and that sort of stuff that started up quite early on and uh, it, it was what enabled active events to start uh, offering. Um, event swag to other people. So, because active heresy would attract uh, quite a large um attendance, we could then overbuy on things um, like event models, um, and so w- we had the buying power to kind of bring the the price of those models right down, so that where uh, uh, an event with 40 people could afford it, an event with only 10 people could only not afford like exclusive event minis and that sort of stuff. So. The Heresy was kind of like the enabling started series of of models and that sort of stuff. Um, And accompanying that, tagged events and Oz. So, tagged events is really the the commercial arm of Oz 30K. Oz 30K is the narrative side of things. um, And tagged events is kind of a commercial arm, which is intended to enable event organizers um, to get hold of lots of cool event swag, like the decals, the patches um we offer free um campaign heraldry design for people who want to kind of maintain a consistent heraldry style like our shields and that stuff um they offer the we do the collector cards now and the event models and all of that sort of stuff so it's we're continuously trying to get new things for event organizers and try to keep the price as low as possible so that people can actually get these cool things that they wouldn't normally be able to get it was just their actual event doing it, like 10, 15 people.
2: Yeah, I mean, ab- absolutely, man. And this is a global community. Um, I mean, it just amazes me how each year it gets kind of smaller and smaller, right? Um, I was super excited to meet you at Adepticon this year. Uh, that obviously it fell through. Um I think a lot of uh, a lot of tears have been shed and uh, alcohol consumed over that, um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, man. I mean, it's it's uh, it's it is it's such a small community, um, but it's global at the same time, man. Uh, you know, being able to play with guys from uh, Sweden and Norway and those those guys out there, the Vargarian Heresy guys, um, you know, the folks up in Canada, JP and miles over in England. I mean it's just it's it's so it's so cool to be able to to bridge those continental sort of divides and still feel like you're um you know sort of in a in a in a small community man. Um so I, I love that. I love that you make that accessible for uh for all of us because man, it's awesome. So it's
1: yeah, cheers. yeah the driving passion um, for, for what I was doing with both AUS30K and Tagged Events. So AUS30K especially is kind of to provide a, a unifying um, universe that people can feel that they belong to a larger community. And, and that's where a lot of our the, the global campaigns that Dive um, Horace, the, Tim and I and that sort of stuff would often organise every year or so is that There are groups like your own and new england and all of that sort of stuff but then there are players that are in reasonably isolated conditions that have only got two or three other players to to interact with and so running these big global campaigns once a year or so it it can contribute and be involved in something that um, the other people in their community are doing and they can interact and they can jump on the forums and go we ran a couple of games in this zone and we we helped beat back the traders and that sort of stuff and make them feel as though they're actually they are part of the wider community rather than just walking and going and playing with the same three people over and over again type thing so it it is a community that really does reach out to others and and try to embrace them into um a, a wider action it's good it's Something that we started getting with the apocalypse before apocalypse died off, uh, and it, it's really good to see that it reflected through to um, the Horus Heresy. Uh, it's it really shows the the embracing of the narrative and the the community side of it.
2: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. We did a a little experiment. Um, was it last week, Pat, uh, where we opened up a Discord channel for um, some of our Patreons yeah. to come on and. Uh, just chat with us about the the lore, right? Like the deep lore and uh, ask questions, have a conversation. And uh, we, we were just not sure that anyone would even show up. And uh, we had quite a few people come on and they stayed and we talked. And it was one of the most uh, interesting, uh, fun, deep lore conversations I think I've had in a really
0: long time. Um, yeah it was, it was yeah it's kind of eye opening from like and you may get this more than we do, but like you know you put your you put your life life into into things like this like i mean dave jason and myself we we work hard to to put out a a good episode- good episodes a good product we we do the deep dives and then like to actually talk to the audience and like have them be like Wow! Like I mean, just yeah, this is just this interacting is like with them. It's
2: yeah, yeah, like nobody's getting rich off this, man. Like this is something that we all love, you know, for whatever reason. Like this is it's it's a passion. That's
1: right. That's right. Uh, it's and I'm glad that that's what happened with uh, Active Heresy. For me, became that was that uh, quite early on in the series. The Active Heresy became a kind of a melting pot of players around Australia and New Zealand and that sort of stuff and. It was more than an event between nine and five. Uh, after five o'clock uh, or after when the last couple of games were played, we'd, we'd always run these things at, at sports clubs or or venues that had bars and bistros and that sort of stuff. People would still be there playing, talking, talking shit, exchanging ideas, and at midnight, one o'clock, two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning. Um, so it was always half the enjoyment for a lot of the, the players is interaction with like-minded hobbyists throughout the game after the game before the game and just talking and uh, nattering and that sort of stuff whereas you go to the there's an event that runs at the same time as Act of heresy which was cancon and they're pure tournaments they rock in they play their games they move on type thing and it's the diff there's people enjoy different aspects of the hobby and that's fine uh, but it having those social gatherings whether it's in um, in space or uh on in discord and that sort of stuff uh virtual really shows and it helps reinforce the the community side of it and it gets people really really enthused with similar to uh road trips like driving eight nine hours to another person's event with half a dozen people um three or four people in your car and that sort of stuff just do six hours of talking shit about the hobby and you're so pumped for the event and you're so pumped for the, the hobby for the next few months afterwards. Fantastic. That's that's what the hobby is about in my opinion.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. no, completely. Um I've had uh So I mean Nova for us is I guess the closest um convention slash really big hobby thing um and Warhammer, right? right? But like you know, that's, what, maybe two to three hours away for us. And, like, even even just the conversations you have with your buddies driving up there, it it just fuels you for the entire week of gaming. Um,
2: well, the armies that you're building six months ahead of time to go there, you know, the shit talking you're doing online, you know, before you show up. It's, yeah, I mean, it's those, those community events. I mean, I, I, I hope this whatever thing that we're living in. and I really hope they figure it out. Cause those conventions are a huge part of this community and I know not everyone can go. Everyone has one that's close by, but man, it'd be, it would be a blow if, uh, if we couldn't get together like that, you know? And I mean, obviously they're going to figure it out. I'm, I'm talking like short term, right? I'm talking like the next year, you know, year and a half. Um, Nova's still on right now. I think everyone's sort of got their fingers crossed for that. Uh, that happens in uh, the end of August, early September, Andrew. Um, and uh, so it's in D.C., Northern Virginia, D.C. So, so I think everyone's sort of fingers crossed for that, man. But, I, I mean, uh, it'd be real hard to go through a whole year, I think, of not being able to, to see uh, the people that, you know, you love to throw dice with
1: sure yeah and yeah it's the the cancellation of adepticon and all of those other ev- even the the events like the number of events that was supporting uh with those and tagged events over in the states and europe have just cancelled and that sort of stuff that we did heraldry for and that we we're prepping to help them with their player packs and everything um it's it's staggering the number of events that had to get cancelled and um but things are starting to come back online already. I, I'm starting to get contacted by EOs again saying, well, look, we're laying the groundwork for the reopening. We're hoping to do something in August, September, October. Um, so hopefully come kind of third quarter of the year, we're going to see just a massive resurgence of events flooding in and um, people are getting really, really antsy to start rolling the dice again. So it be good.
2: yeah absolutely much needed, much needed um hey man i have uh I have like one final question, and I hope it's not like the a stump a stump the chump kind of question. It's something I've been trying to figure out for the longest time. Honestly, i um, I've asked everybody uh except maybe like the forge world design team. It, those are probably the people I need to ask, right like Anoush and uh, Neil. I probably just need to like email them but um since it's you've Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Super BFFs. Uh, so since you've done a lot of work kind of on subsector maps and, um, you know, your Oz 30 K page is definitely, uh, you know, a good subsector, um, grid. Do you know if the grids that they use in the black books, right? So they have like a designation, like "I'll, I'll just, I'll say like 863Y477X56. Like, is that an actual grid in some, you know, galactic map that you know of? Um, Because I feel like when I've done my research in the Black Books, like I've done, like they are consistent themselves, right? But I just can't figure out like where the hell those coordinates, those galactic coordinates obviously three-dimensional, right? It's not just an X, but it's the X, Y, Z. You know, are do you know if they're real or are they just kind of winging it?
1: <laughs> uh, I, I personally don't know. Uh, I, I've i done the same sort of, of trying to research and that sort of stuff because I wanted to try and get Oz30K as accurate as possible with it. Um, I couldn't find a, a solid answer, so I avoid using those particular sort of triangulations, but same as you i've there seems to be consistency in the use of some of the numbers and letters and that sort of stuff um whether it's just um writing a story about this group they've grouped those particular kind of coordinates together so that they look consistent or whether there was an overriding kind of map
2: yeah who knows here's my theory my theory yeah. is they've got some intern locked in the basement. <laughs> some poor university student who's like, who's like literally mapping all that stuff out, it's keeping it on a grid. You know,
1: there were lots of lots of things that I know came out of Alan's Alan's mind that really isn't wasn't documented anywhere, and um, you can see the jarring a continuation of that uh, from kind of book seven onwards and that sort of stuff that it's it's going to be impossible to kind of seamlessly continue with with his vision because a lot of the vision was in his mind and that sort of stuff. So whether he had a, a theory and a method of doing that, whether it was similar to how the, the world's brought into compliance was using the, the compliance fleet number and all of that sort of stuff, I, I don't know. but. Um, so as long as there's not too many contradictions have at it type thing
2: yeah that's right i hadn't even thought of the compliance fleet that's that's brilliant man yeah you're right that could be that could be a designation in there um it certainly
1: wouldn't be a, a, an easy one to track but that's the imperium for you like well it takes them a hundred years to respond to a, des- a distress call so it's
2: yeah absolutely I love it, man. I mean, I, half of you know half of it is in not knowing, right? Half of the the mystery and the mystique is in uh, is in not knowing and uh, sort yeah. of the unre- unreliable narrator. Um, that's really cool, uh, Andrew. That's all the questions I've got, man. I really appreciate you coming on and and uh, sharing some time. Uh, I'll give it. I'll hand it back over to Pat uh, for anything else.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, that did jog something in my in the back of my mind for, hey, guess what, listeners? We're going to ask him about orcs again. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I know Dave and I were trying to rack our brain about this when we did the Olinor episode of we never actually have a position for Ulanor. Um And is it safe to assume that you've read the Beast or Rise series and you know what happens at the end of it?
1: Uh, I haven't read it all, but I'm aware of uh, its it's renaming, yeah.
0: Okay. Listeners, if you haven't already listened to the Ilinor episode, you've already been spoiled. Also, these books have been out for years. You're fine. <laughs> um, so- you know, we know that the Mechanicum or Mechanicus um, zaps Eleanor from where it was to now we know it as Armageddon in the Armageddon system. But in any of your research or, like, your... Your deep dives with colleagues, any ideas as to where it is in, like, in our general star star chart of like crusade slash horse heresy?
1: No, no. I've I've had a brief look. I haven't looked into it too deeply because because of my philosophy of avoiding um, established fluff. I wasn't really going to interact with all and all very much in any of my. Um, narrative or such like but I, i'm always interested to try and find out as much as i can but yeah nah I, whether it was again one of those intentional simply not going to say where it was and leave it as a mystery like the second and eleventh and that sort of stuff uh, or whether it's buried somewhere else or they they simply haven't gotten to it yet um i don't know
0: i mean i feel like at this point like it it's past the time for them to have like put it on a star chart, you know, because I mean, you know, orcs aren't going to show up for the siege, so so they're not relevant anymore. And for all tense of purposes, for the heresy, like you said earlier, it's it's clearly just a civil war battle. Like there's the yeah, there's a little bit of Eldar stuff. There's some weird Alpha Legion Cabal stuff going on, but still, it's mostly just you know. Brother fights brother. That's right. Yeah. yeah.
1: Whether there was, there is, there could have been whatever plans for uh, spin-offs, spinoffs. Uh, like, there's always hypothesis from the community that uh, there's going to be a Great Crusade series or a, a scouring series or something like that. Who knows? But if, if there was ever plans for a Great Crusade series, then obviously the all-in-all all would play massive part of that because it is the culmination of so many things and that basically the the trigger onto the heresy the heresy then occurs not much longer after that um, so it would be a, of the, the prime books for a great crusade series but know knows what they had planned whether they even know themselves or they've buried it and waiting for something else
2: Pat, you know it just occurred. to me? I feel like we could, if we really wanted to, go crazy on because we we don't know where Ulanor is, but we know where it's not, right? So we we just tape over all of the places where we know the other legions were.
0: God, on you're going to pull me right off of map. <laughs> I'm just going to have you know those lines of string and yeah. little points all over a galactic map.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right, perfect.
1: <laughs> it's uh, everything seems to have taken place towards the east though is is what i'm gathering so they they went north for a bit and then started spreading east um so you would assume that it is of you know, in that general vicinity but the general vicinity is pretty big
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. oh god um, uh,
1: that's one thing that i always found amusing as well is the 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 lack of appreciation for size, especially with sectors and subsectors and that sort of stuff, how massive, massive the segmentums are, because uh, you then go down to a sector, which is just a tiny, tiny portion of a segmentum. A sector is made up of subsectors. A subsector is made up of systems. and the the gap between systems within a subsector is huge. And the systems are an accumulation of planets. and it's like, once you start zooming in and then zooming out again, you you just realize the, the massive expanse um, of, of things, and it's like, whoa.
0: <laughs> yeah, I I think the first time that ever like hit me, just like you said, the the grand scale or size of everything is when we we did a, a series on the Coronet Deeps, and just like. The planets, the sectors, like the entire scale of it, like I never took into consideration until I really dove down and read into this stuff. You know, yeah. I
2: think so, I think my favorite way of anybody explaining it, right, of sort of the Emperor's vision of explain, like like uniting the galaxy and uniting humanity, is in uh, the Emperor of Mankind or the Master of Mankind um, when the Emperor is sort of like explaining it to Ra. Uh, through that, like uh, sort of like sight vision, right? And uh, he fucking makes a custodian cry, dude. Right? Like, like he starts crying because <laughs> he's like, "Oh my god, that is crazy." Like his plan is crazy. And uh, um, yeah, I mean, you just—it's—it it, is. It's not like going out and uh, and just some people together. Um, yeah, the conquest of the galaxy is insane. So
1: It gives us all the option to kind of play out our own stories in little dark corners and not interfere and contradict uh, the, the existing stories, which is good, which is fantastic for me.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's, it's what makes 30K so narrative, I feel like. And, you know, it, you look at a 40K, like I was looking at um, a uh forty-first or whatever millennium we're in now, um, with forty k, uh, I was looking at a forty k map and I realized how busy it was, with the amount of like designations for like you had wogs, you have hi- you have uh, tyrannid high fleets, you have tau.
2: I think it's easy to over oversimplify a forty k world, right? Because I, oh, I, I mean, like, yeah. yeah, I feel like that's sort of what it's easy to, to to grasp onto. But, you know, you sort of go back to the Bad Ab Wars, which was, you know, Alan Bly's sort of first stab at this. You know, and, and Andrew, I know you guys are, are the thinking Holy about Tome. going well, back I mean,
1: yeah. to that. The Heresy before the Heresy. It's mm-hmm. best Imperial armor book ever.
2: I doubt. Uh, I agree. And, I mean, you know, there's still so much room in for a type of – uh, narrative space. I mean, I, you worse. Know, it's a, it's, a, it's, it is, a, it's a, I mean, space, space marine chapters that literally barely makes the, you know, the not in the mainstream news, right? It's like a little, it's like that little runner bar on the bottom of CNN, you know? It's like today we had a, you know, space marine chapter rebel. And, and yeah. next. <laughs>
0: Oh hey, the Kakaradons killed the Manus warriors. Okay, and on to the next little piece right, of him. right. You know.
1: It's um, it's a perfect example. The the ending is the only thing that wrecked it for me where they eventually went to chaos. It was the perfect example of the Imperium telling tearing itself apart. Um that like he was he was in the right all the way along. Um and that's what the Inquisition found out, like determined at the end, which is why they sealed everything. Um but In the end, they kind of—he went to chaos. Uh, It just would have been better if he'd been killed off or something like that. But it was. This is the Imperium, that's finest. It's like they—they send someone to do a job. They try to do the job, and then the Imperium stomps itself in the foot to stop him from doing the job.
0: Par for the course. Mm.
2: And we wonder why we haven't gotten anywhere in, you know, ten thousand years.
0: But, yeah, I, I
1: love Badab, and that was that was one of the first kind of passions was was following the Badab War and that sort of stuff.
0: So what's your chapter?
1: Uh, again, I, ne- I never deviated from the Black Templars. Um, I just liked reading them and kind of helping people run Badabs. Um, I did run Tyrant's Legion quite a lot with my Black Templars, which is where they deviated into a little bit of better separatists. Um, I love the idea of kind of seconding Imperial Guard and basically making them your bitch and going, nah, I'm taking control of you. You will die for me so that we can preserve the Astartes gene seed. Um, so whenever I played Badab, I, I always used the Tyrant's Legion uh, list. Um, but I never actually kind of went for an actual chapter. I've got a uh, Taboris the Red
0: week somewhere up in my closet right now. So,
2: so Andrew, if you do revisit the Bad Ab Wars, which is something I know you you said you would do um, eventually, time permitting, you know, what what does that look like? Is that in 40K or is that using 7th edition rules? What What is that?
1: Oh, well, yeah, it would, uh, as much as a lot of people probably won't like it, it would probably be an 8th edition revisit. Um, so I know that there's a large... Um, swath of the community who who do enjoy 8th and a lot of the Badab stuff hasn't been carried across Uh, so I am I'm play 7th because Heresy is in 7th if Heresy was in 8th I would play 8th there's pros and cons with both rule set and there's kind of no point in getting into those ones but Badab was basically 7th so there's not a whole lot to to bring Badab into 7th because it's already there it just needs a little bit of fine tuning Um, but um, the, the intention of if we do get to the Badab revisitation would be working with a group of friends who who are in eighth and trying to bring uh, the Badab across to the the eighth rule set and that sort of stuff. Um, whether it will still be the eighth rule set by then, chances are there could be a ninth rule set. I, I don't know, but um, it's it's a very long off project that hasn't been fleshed out very much. Really, the the next three or the first three black books are the only ones that i've really spent any time on pushing out um Bad Ab, unification wars um and kind of any into the future are really just rough ideas yeah
2: you got to have those though right i mean you got to have them because if not something else will just creep in
1: um oh, for sure uh it's <laughs> that's what i've figured out really early i've of these, the army books that I've planned out and that sort of stuff, you, you've got to really stagger it out and plan it, otherwise you, you just start drowning. Um, and, like, there's years of projects that I've got listed away and I've just got the analytical mind that I need that sort of structure, that, okay, I've done orcs, I then kind of start fine-tuning um, the, the rogue traders and now I'll start working on Exodite and that sort of stuff and I'll, I'll start working on the Adeptus Arbitus um, and just keep on plotting away so I've got a list of things that I need to do. And as I get closer to these hypotheticals, then I can start fleshing them out and seeing where the, the, the community currently stands and the rule set currently stands, and I can go from there.
0: Very cool. Um, I I do have a fun Badab Warp fact um, that you may not necessarily know about. I, I do play Kikarodons, um, but they're, they're Tyros' uh, capital ship the uh the nycor was actually in the heresy there's a there's a mention of it in book four i'm still trying to track it down now but um our our head of all things bfh and bfg um stephen campbell and uh austin and austin um yeah sorry austin hunt uh brought it to my attention because because I've got, um, it's mentioned in the, uh, the Death Watch splat book of, like, of honor the chapter. Um, and it's mentioned to be old, old, um, like pre 40 K and like, it's a design of Grand Cruiser that we just don't necessarily have rules for. So, it's, so it's kind of cool, except in the, um, except in the Imperial armor book. Oh, nice. yeah. but I think that's it for me. Uh, Dave.
2: No, man, I just want to say thanks so much for coming on. And like, we'd love to have you again. Um, you know, yeah. anytime you want, just reach yes. out, man. No worries at it all.
1: It's a joy to talk. As we said, like in the road trips, uh, just talking gets, gets people pumped and I'm enthused to keep on trying to, Work on the projects that I'm on, so always happy to talk. Especially kind of in this current environment, I'm I'm working from home, so I can always away doing work and chat to you guys at the same time. Much easier at the moment.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um. So I mean, normally at, around this point we go into plugs. So Andrew, I, the floor is yours. Uh, plug anything and everything, man. Oh well.
1: Uh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, <laughs> um, as we said. Uh, Tagged events and Oz 30k, uh, all of our projects, we're, we're certainly not in it to try and make millions. And uh, while tagged events is the commercial arm, it's really there for event EOs to try and access um, event swag. So if you're planning on doing an event or something like that and you need help with heraldry, where I'm happy to design weldic shields for people, um, and then if you want. Decals and patches and event swag, then just chat to us and we'll get it to you as as kind of cheap as possible. Um, it's it's something to try and help make uh, narrative events uh, as m- most enjoyable for the players as possible, but not bankrupt people. Um, so, and then if you need help with fluff and are interested in Oz Thirty K, the website or anything like that, just get in touch. Um, just reach out on Facebook, um, both Australis Ultima on Facebook and tagged events, but yeah, just always happy to help people with their events and players' packs and narrative and that sort of stuff. So yell, and I'll try and help.
0: Very cool. And listeners, make sure to go to os 30 k and check out these amazing PDFs of for these armies, for the army list. Um, <laughs> yeah, go check those out. Um, other than that, I'd like to... Thank our thank all you listeners for for listening in. Like I mean, we wouldn't be doing this stuff without you guys. and uh, also thank you to our our Patreons. So yeah, Dave. Nope,
2: thanks for listening guys.